is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations from Season 3, Episode 17, our discussion on an exciting potential antifibrotic therapy of the future and other advances in omics. This conversation starts with Scott Friedman, who just described exciting research combining mRNA and CAR-T technologies to attack fibrogenic cells in mice, turning to Neil Henderson to ask what cell type interceptors he thinks such a technology should target. Neil uses this question to discuss how challenging it is to attack fibrosis, which he describes as, and I quote, evolutionarily conserved, unquote. The solution, he states, lies in multimodal combinatorial therapy, different lines of attack, different targets, different methods, different time points. Stephen Harrison lends a thought about using this approach in late-stage disease, while Scott Friedman points out that we also need to determine the factors that lead 10% of fatty livers progressing to cirrhosis while 90% do not. This raises the question of single-cell analytics, which the third conversation will cover in detail. First, congratulations to our friend Scott Friedman on his Lifetime Achievement Award. When you step back and look at where people like Scott and Neil Henderson are driving the science and technology of fatty liver disease, it taxes the mind's ability to absorb and envision all that change. I don't usually listen to our episodes more than once when we're done editing, but I've listened to this one three times so far just to absorb it. So you're in for a treat. Sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. And when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. Scott Friedman. The other key, which again funnels back to Neil's expertise, is what cell type and what receptors on those cells do you hone in on, or do you do more than one, and how do you use single-cell genomics to help you sort through that complex question? And having made that one point about safety, I think that's exactly right. You're an and Scott. Neil, your floor. Neil Henderson. Thanks. Just to reiterate, Scott, that was a, a fantastic summary of, of all that technology. Yeah, I just love the way you can take something and just make it incredibly understandable straight away. So on the back of that, and as, as Jorn was saying as well, this is a classic example of, you know, people talk about the best research is the research that actually then opens a thousand questions. And as we're all saying, how do you harness and leverage this technology onto the next stage of really exciting therapeutic potential, as, as Scott was saying? I think it feeds in lots of ways as, as we're all on the same page here about how we can use other technologies to help make precision medicine a reality. I mean, one of the things we've face and fibrosis and it always makes me smile talking about this because Scott's been researching this you know longer than any of us but I think hitting a single target is super challenging in fibrosis it's so evolutionarily conserved it'll wound heal wherever possible in the end so you know when we're talking about this new technological approach as Scott alluded to I think it's really fun to think about combinatorial therapy so the fi- liver fibrosis is is getting into that more and by that I mean in standard practice like combinations of small molecule approaches whether they'll be successful in the end none of us really know but it would be very exciting to think about even multimodality combinatorial therapies so you know not even just CAR-T or or son or daughter of CAR-T but combining that with other hits to the fibrotic process so it's a really exciting time in fibrosis in general and in the liver and this type of technology where as Scott says you can precisely fire an antifibrotic potentially exactly where you need it is incredible exciting. I think the other thing we need to think about is organ specificity and it comes back to the points made earlier by Scott and Yarn about using technologies like single cell to, to shine a bright light on how much specificity is attainable. You know, the holy grail would be, for example, scar forming mesenchymal cells, say in the liver, plus if you could understand more about how epithelial injury drives uh, the fibrotic process and then your ideal would be to restrict 
that treatment to the liver. Now, that's a heck of a wish list, I know, but I think we would all agree we're getting closer to those types of treatments where you have local deployment of a therapy that may be organ-specific. And I'm going to say this as an academic, but the more we understand how the clock works, the more we know about the molecular mechanisms and the, the key targets, the easier, in inverted commas, this should get. And that's getting away from all the potential pitfalls with implementing these therapies in patients. But in terms of precision, if we can if we can really hone down on what we think the key targets are, using all these technologies such as single cell, I think it's, it's going to be a really, really exciting new chapter. Stephen Harrison. Yeah, thanks for, for explaining that, Scott. Brilliant, as always. You know, to me, as I sit here and listen to this, and I think about drug development and fatty liver, I feel like I'm at an archaeological dig site where we know there's something down there because we found the very tip of it. And we're starting to take our brushes and our little instruments and start to whittle away at the dirt and expose what's really underneath. And I feel like we're just at the very tip of that archaeological dig, and yet we're trying to drive therapeutics to manipulate the liver disease without fully understanding or appreciating what we're dealing with. And as I listen to Scott speak and then you add on, I think about where we are with fibrosis improvement in the field of NASH. And even with our best therapies, we're still scratching the surface on leaving a big fat dent on the planet in the name of liver fibrosis relative to NASH. And so I guess my question is, what can we take from what we've learned today and apply it towards drug development and NASH in the broader scope of targeting specific mechanism? Because one of the things we've done is said, look, if you get rid of the fat, the liver should take care of itself. And the idea is relatively simplistic, but we've learned that from hepatitis C, clearance of C, allowing the liver time to regenerate, suppressing the B, treating the autoimmune with steroids, putting it in remission, and then stepping back and letting the liver deal with the remnants of the collagen deposition. In NASH, my suspicion is it's a little more complicated than that, but I would love to have uh, either you or Scott uh, uh, weigh in on, on where you see this going. And if there is some role in CAR-T therapy in NASH, to me, the, the vision would be taking a pretty advanced patient and bringing them back from the edge of the cliff, maybe induction therapy, and then transitioning to something more metabolic. Yeah, I think those are all excellent points, Stephen. And, you know, genuinely, I agree with every point you made there. I think the sweet spot potentially for us, as you're saying, is to be able to manipulate F3, F4 type fibrosis. And just for people listening, we grade fibrosis from F0 to F4, and F4 is cirrhosis or end-stage scarring. And we know that if we can manipulate people at F3, F4 stage, then we can reduce the clinical complications, which at the end of the day are what we're all about with clinical science. So it reduces your risk of death and liver cancer and a long list of things if we could actually manipulate F3, F4. I really like your idea, Steve, about manipulating fibrosis and then also coming along with a metabolic tweak. It'll be more than a tweak, perhaps, to stop progression of disease. But again, I think it does come back to, and I agree with you about these are exciting technologies, but we really need a roadmap about what the most sensible approach will be in terms of of where we direct therapies. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in we need more information. We need lots of information. The other thing that we don't have yet as a community, but it'll come and it'll come fairly soon, is single cell resolution information across fibrosis progression. And that's going to be super important. And just in terms of the simple question of do the targets change with progression? And we don't know that yet as a community. You'd almost eat your hat if they don't, but clearly that's a key piece of information 
to tilt team. Um, Scott, sorry, I'll, I'll let you come in as well. No, I, I, I quite agree, Neil. And just to spell it out, you know, we know that NASH primarily starts in hepatocytes and the accumulation of fat. Now, I, I'll make a point I've made in previous podcasts, which is that most patients with fat in the liver never get NASH. And so what we need to start with as the drivers is what distinguishes those fatty livers that also go on to accumulate inflammation and cell damage. But the point is that that's really driving the stellate cells to make fibrosis. So I quite agree with Neil and Steve that you certainly can clear fibrogenic cells, but unless you're turning off the faucet of inflammation and cell damage that's upstream of that, if you will, you're paddling upstream. So I, I think it could be sequential, it could be both. I mean, these are all hand-waving, but you know, hopeful thoughts about uh, how we can integrate a cell-based therapy to clear specific cells, in this case, stellate cells, and integrate it with a long-term strategy to suppress disease recurrence or disease progression. And one other thought I had, Neil, and I wonder if you thought about it, is you've been a master and a leader in defining the individual cell genomes. That's what single cell sequencing is in, in human and rodent liver. What about using single cell technologies to assess how the liver responds to a therapy? Because we think we know, we give a molecule, we think it's blocking this pathway in this cell, but we never really know. And it struck me as you were speaking, and I hadn't thought about it before, how informative would it be to actually dig just as deep to define how each cell type is responding to a medical or a small molecule therapy by assessing the individual cell genome. Any thoughts about that, Neil? Yeah, I absolutely agree. And it's something we've been thinking about over here in Edinburgh and how we could get at that. So what we've been trying to do is optimize protocols for garnering single cell resolution data from needle biopsies, because unless you see otherwise, the only way I can really think we can get at that is through serial biopsies, needle biopsies in, in the context of a clinical trial, as you're saying. But absolutely, I think that could be a cool deployment of this technology. And, and when I say cool, I don't mean it glibly. I think for the reasons you've cited, really informative, because that's a major issue, as, as you know far better than I. What are your actual readouts in these clinical trials? How do you, in a human, assess efficacy of even mode of action? And I think it would be really, really powerful potential if we could do that. Now, the problem in some ways is we'd all love if we could get molecular level readouts without putting a needle in someone, but I ain't come up with anything smart on that front as yet and may never do. But, you know, I can't I can't really think, other than, say, peripheral blood where we could do single cell on that, but it's more of a surrogate readout. It's not going to be as good as tissue. But to do that, I've been thinking a lot about whether we could do it without with tissue, but I think we'd be using needle biopsies, which are not, as you can imagine, trivial in terms of trying to extract that type the data from a very small piece of liver. It's possible. I think we're getting there with that approach, but it's not It's not easy. So, first of all, you could at least establish proof of principle using a rodent model where you have ample access to tissue, but ultimately you are smart and right to go to the human tissue. But of course, then you're also potentially confounded by the sampling variability that we know has bedeviled the field since the very beginning, because even if you capture cells and you get single cell sequences, are they the same as the sequences you might have gotten if you moved the needle biopsy or the biopsy needle a, a millimeter or a centimeter away. Yeah, totally agree. That's exactly what I was going to ask, Scott. You know, the heterogeneity issue 
So you were you were a step ahead of me there. The other thing I was going to say, though, uh, to Neil's point is we do phase 2B studies all the time where you have to have paired liver biopsies, biopsy to get in, biopsy to get out. Just if we were to chase that thought a little bit further, how much tissue would you need? Does it need to be, can it, uh, obviously you probably want it before it's paraffin embedded. So how do we operationally, how would we do that? Because we, we potentially could move in that direction relatively quickly. Yeah. So Steve, what I'd say on that front so far, and this is, you know, I'm at pains to say this is just our experience. There, there will almost certainly not even almost certainly, I'm sure there are groups around the world trying to optimize this. And so I'll just tell you about our experience. So in direct answer to your question, the ideal, if it were possible, would be at that time of biopsy is, and you probably know what I'm going to say here, which is one core goes to pathology, standard, formalin, fixed, etc. One core goes in its entirety for single cell transcriptomics. And the reason I say that is because we've tried half needle biopsies, one to FFP, one to single cell genomics, but we've really found that unsurprisingly, the more tissue we can commit to the single cell transcriptome side of things, the better. The other thing is size. So that's just flash frozen? Yeah, exactly. And then size of biopsy is, is another key thing. Some centers use a big needle, some use smaller needles, and there's no doubt, unsurprisingly, if you get a nice big core, that helps. I think that's not an insurmountable operational endeavor. Most of our liver biopsies are done by interventional radiologists. They have no issue making more than one pass. One goes to formalin, one goes flash frozen, and gets shipped over. So I think that's a doable proposition if we wanted to consider that. At least as a as you were mentioning, uh, Scott, as proof of concept, just to try to understand response, what's activating, what's downregulating. Yeah. you know, what's actually being affected by therapy. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week to preview May's Innovations in Naphil Care 2022 meeting in Barcelona next month. Until then, stay safe, surf on, and we'll see you on podcast. Bye-bye now. <laughs>